Welcome back to the CBJ Show, episode 63. And I'm joined by Christine Lilly, two-time World Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, just to name a few. But she's more than just a champion. She gives back to the community. She's an awesome person. And I'm just so glad that I have this opportunity to finally sit down, chat with Christine. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Well, thanks, Brandon. Um, no, I'm happy to be here. It's been a, I think, a long haul for us to make this happen, but we stuck to it. And uh, this is, it's great. Uh, it's great to be on, the, on your show. So thank you. Yes. And that's actually a good segue, which is one of the things uh, you have done from early on in your career to to get to that greatness status of on the U.S. women's national team is you kept going, you didn't give up. And that's important. So why don't we just kind of start by why don't you share a little bit of your journey from being a youth to U.S. women's national team star? Yeah, well, um, I have to say when I was a young a young player, a young athlete, a young kid, um, I loved sports. I loved all sports. I just loved playing outside. I think baseball was actually my first love. Um, I loved playing baseball. I played hardball with the boys till till uh, eighth grade. Um, and then I actually played with the boys in soccer from second to eighth grade because there wasn't a lot of, of girls playing um, when I was growing up. Um, but I, I loved it. And and it wasn't like I was the only girl on the boys team, but it wasn't like anybody really cared. Um, you know, the boys were like, OK, sure. You want to play? Great. Um, and, you know, the parents were supportive. My parents were always like, whatever you want to do. Uh, so I had a really good um I would say mindset around me that it wasn't like people would say, well, no, you can't play because you're a girl. No, you can't do this. You can't, you know, everyone's like, yeah, go ahead. So I think that motivated, motivated me and gave me the opportunities uh, to do the things I wanted. So I played all sports, um, you know, in my younger years, I have an older brother. So he was the one that um, I owe a lot to because he let me play. Uh, he's four years older and he let me play with him and his friends. He, he beat me up. He made me tough. Uh, but whatever he did, I wanted to do. And so I just followed in his footsteps and then soccer started to be the one sport that, um, I excelled in and I really enjoyed and, um, went through all the youth, youth programs. I grew up in Connecticut and uh, we had youth programs, did all the youth programs and played travel soccer with the boys. Uh, there wasn't really a club system yet. So I didn't play club soccer. I played for my town. And then, um, when I was, a junior in high school is when I made the national team. Um, and that kind of changed my life. And I think it's funny. I say that a lot of people are like, Oh yeah, cause you won world cups and all this. I'm like, no, it changed my life because I went from playing like with the boys and then I played, you know, with the girls in high school varsity, but I still wasn't surrounded by people that were like me. So when I made the national team, all these women, they were older, um, but they were competitive. They wanted to work hard. They wanted to compete. They sweat. They they just wanted what I wanted. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing. I'm surrounded by people that want to train like I do and want to compete like I do. And that's really what changed my life. And um, I'm so grateful for that moment that um, Anson Dorrance gave me, who's the coach at University of North Carolina, uh, that opportunity to compete on the national team. And then from 1987 till I was 16, I worked my tail off to compete and I played for 23 years on the national team. And uh, I know how we get into more, but I just loved what I did and I worked hard um, and I wanted to get better every time I stepped out on the field. I love that you talked about 
once you saw other people kind of like you in the with the U.S. women's national team, that that really kind of drove you to compete as well. I remember the first time I even attended a broadcasting camp and I saw other kids, high school kids, um, and you start at that young age to think about there's kids your age that want to get into this uh, same playing field or industry and you realize I can go that extra mile and make it so I <laughs> it's so fast that you talked about soccer and as you know I referee and I played soccer my life but I knew at some point I was never going to be a professional player and so um, I remember listening to broadcasters and they would say hey I wanted to too I love the sport I love playing sports but how can I, I want to be in the industry without playing it. So uh, there's that totally different side, but that's why I love like hearing from your story because you not only had to work hard, but you got it. You went the extra mile because you found something you loved and you kept, kept going. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, like a lot of people, uh, um, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, excuse me. <laughs> Um, it's hard to go after something you want. It's not easy, no matter what it is. I don't, I don't care if it's an elite athlete a, in the business world, a doctor, a teacher, a broadcaster, it's not easy. So I think what happens a lot, people think um, they get to a state where like, Oh, this isn't bad. And then to go that extra bit to get what you really want, it takes work and, um, and responsibility on your part to do it. Accountability, a discipline, and I think discipline is one of the big things that I start to talk about a little bit more when I talk about my career, because you got to put it in, you got to put in the time. It has to be something um, that you do you, your schedule. You have to do what you need to do, whether it's getting a good night's sleep, whether it's eating right, whether it's training, um, uh, whether it's surrounding yourself with people that want you to do great and find those people instead of around kids, uh, friends that are like, ah, don't do that, you know, come out with us and do something else. But all those things make a difference. And that's the discipline a part of it. And um, I had the discipline. I, I knew uh, to be on that national team, I knew I needed to be fit. So that was probably the backbone of my career, my fitness base. I was always fit because I figure if I was fit when I got to the team, if my passing was off and my shooting was off, I could practice that in, in the training and get better. But if I wasn't fit, I wasn't going to get fit in that week or two of that training camp. So um, I, I really focused on my fitness and made sure I was strong in that sense. And that gave me confidence, you know, and I think the more you do your craft of whatever it is, you build the confidence that way. So that helped me. Um, and it was just fun and I enjoyed it. And I think that's the other part. I, I, I knew I liked the game. So it, it was fun. And that made me want to keep playing it. Like you probably love doing these podcasts. It's fun for you. So you're going to want to do it. Um, I don't know if, if math is fun for you. So if you're, if you're not, if math isn't fun, you're not going to want to go to, you know, do the work, but you know, you have to. So it's that balance of where you get to a state uh, stage in your life where you don't have to do certain things, but you want to do the things that you enjoy. And that's what I did for so long on the national team. Totally. So uh, let's transition to the national team, which is that you debuted in 1987, which probably feels like so long ago. But do you have, I guess, well, first of all, share us like, what was it like being on that team? What made it different than just being on, like you said, a club team or a high school? Yeah. And you talked about discipline, but it was, 
It was hard. It was uh, so I was 16 when I went to my first camp and it was in China. So I had to travel from I lived in Connecticut and from New York. We flew out of New York and I had to fly there. And I had just met some of these players. So I didn't really know anyone. So it was really kind of nerve wracking. I was a bit homesick. Um, but I remember getting there and I remember going to my first practice and I thought I was going to pass out. Like I was I thought I was like a chicken with his head cut off. I was just running around just I'm like just survive. Like I wasn't trying to make a pass or that, but like just survive, survive out there. The players were so good. Like I was 16. So some of these other players were 22, you know, they're in college. So as a six year old, I'm like, wow, they're so old. I wish I was 22 now. Um, but they were so good and they, they weren't just good. They were good soccer. They were strong. They were quick. So everything at the national level just got higher. The speed of play, the strength, um, the talent. So going from high school to that was just like, holy cow, this is this is hard. Um, but I just, you know, I kept my head above water. I kept moving and I listened to everything. All these older players, what they were saying. I just listened and watched, watched how they prepared themselves, watched what they did. Um, watch what they ate, you know, what were the magic foods that they were eating, you know, because they were experienced, they were older than me. Um, so I just kind of took it all in. And I think as a young player, that was real important um, just to take it all in and just uh, survived. And I happened to score my first goal in my first game. So that was really cool. So we were talking about your experience in China and we'll just start there. But yeah. what was it like you talked about food and rest and, and fitness? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you balance all that when you're not only so far away, but you've got to compete at the highest level? Yeah, well, I think um, it's always a learning process. I mean, the way I'm eating now compared to when I was playing is so much better because I know more. And um, in the early years with the national team, we didn't have a lot of resources back then I mean I mean, we were we were doing our fitness on our own our our late lifting we didn't have a lifting coach we didn't have a nutritionist yet all that kind of grew with the time on the team so you just did the best you could and um you made sure your hy hydration was a big part and um you just made sure you're eating because you needed to have energy and I think that's the one thing especially for female athletes we don't have enough energy in our body when we're if we're training at a high level so we just maybe we put a lot of um um, food in our, our diet to give us the energy. And I think uh, when we were, the funny part was when we were over in China, the food was a little different. So we, we would pack, you pack your own little snacks just in case like a lot of oatmeal, um, you know, crackers, things that were kind of easy to take. And we uh, would eat a lot of that. And then we always would order French fries. Can we just have some French fries? <laughs> so sometimes you just need to have food in your body. doesn't matter what it is if you're not eating. And peanut butter was a big one. These are the early years. Um, so, uh, you just kind of learn and grow and then ask questions and then listen and, uh, and learn your body. And I think I kind of knew what my body needed a lot more. Um, so I just kind of paid attention to it. Like I didn't like to eat a lot before practice. I'd have a little, like a banana and something. Cause I just didn't like a lot in my belly, but then afterwards I make sure I refueled uh, pretty well. So you just kind of see what's best for you and then make sure you're you're listening and learning and taking as much information in as you can. Sounds good. So we were talking about nutrition and fitness and obviously your your first World Cup experience in China, but do you have a favorite memory from any of the World Cups or even actually the Olympics that you played in? And why was that your favorite or cool moment? Yeah. 
Well, I think, um, shoot, I remember every World Cup. Uh, obviously, I remember the, the first, the, the first World Cup was in 1991 in China. Uh, that was the first World Cup for women's soccer ever. Uh, and I remember that just because it was new and, and we were like, so excited to compete for something because but prior to that in 87 you know the years before we were just training and we were playing games here and here but we weren't training for anything big you know so the fact that it became a world cup was incredible and i just remember being there the crowds in china were great um and then as we started to do well the fans the chinese fans really enjoyed uh, our team so there'd be you know tons of people outside our bus you know wanting to take pictures with us and do things so it was really kind of a cool feel and i think the we played Norway in the final, and I think there were 64,000 people in the final then. So, I mean, that's in 91. Uh, so I do remember that. And then winning winning it, we won it. And then we came back to the U.S., and it was like no one even knew we won. <laughs> there was no parade. There was nothing. A couple people met us at the airport. But for us, we were super proud, and uh, it didn't change how we felt that we were world champions. So that was kind of a cool thing, the first one. And then 96 Olympics was the first time that women's soccer was in the Olympics as well. So I was a part of a lot of firsts with this team. And that was that was a bit cooler to me in a sense, um, because as a young kid, you always dreamed about being in the Olympics. I remember watching him and like, gosh, one day I would love to be in the Olympics. So when uh, soccer for women became a sport, I was like, oh, my gosh. Plus, it was in Georgia and Atlanta. So we were hosting it. And it was just, uh, it was amazing. And I remember going through, you went through a like a, a line to go pick up all your gear and you're just getting all this free stuff. And you even got like a little car that you put in the soda machine you can get all the Powerade. And then Coke was a sponsor, all the power you wanted. And I was like, oh my God, this is coming out for free. So like that just shows how pure uh, and innocent we kind of were with the whole thing. And uh to win the gold medal and to stand up on that podium was something I'll never forget. And uh, it was a moment that as a kid, you watch these people and you hear the national anthem and you're like, gosh, I'm not, it feels, and it feels amazing. I tried it when I used to do a lot of talks to younger kids, I used to describe it as um, getting a snow day. You know, you know how happy you wake up in the morning and you know, like, or you get to sleep in, you have a snow day, but most of that by like 10, you know, that's how cool it was to win a gold medal. Uh, so those two were kind of stood out a bit for me just because they were the first. Um, but then, of course, in 1999, when we hosted the World Cup in the United States um, and won that and, you know, broke record crowds of attendance, uh, people watched it on TV. And I think we kind of changed the views on women's uh, soccer and specifically women's sports as well. After that, where companies started to invest in um women's sports and see us as a partner and to help grow their products in the game and and winning that on our home turf was unbelievable and uh I remember that I remember that one because it was just so darn hot <laughs> that game was so hot um but it, it was like a storybook ending we go to you know we go to overtime then we go to PKs and we win on the last kick and the place goes nuts and we won and uh it was just uh it was pretty amazing well, it seems like more people knew about it during the Olympics than they did a few years earlier of the World Cup. Yeah, a little bit more so. Like women's sport, women's soccer specifically was starting to grow. Um, 96 Olympics, I think, really kind of catapulted us a little bit more. And then plus Mia, Mia Hamm, one of my teammates, became the face of, you know, women's soccer and and started to be a real um, face out there for every for everyone to know. 
Um, and things just started to grow. And then people's love for the game grew. And then obviously now, if you look from then till now, it's night and day. We have a pro league. We got sponsorship dollars everywhere. People know who the national team is and, and, and it's exciting. Yes. So when I was doing a little research, as as I always do before my, my interviews, I saw that you've played over 300 games for the U.S. women's national team. And looking back, if you could give yourself advice to that young girl you were when you first joined, what what would it be now that you've kind of had a chance to uh, sit back and reflect on that journey? Well, I would say first to enjoy it, keep enjoying it. Um, you know, there's a lot of it. You spend time worrying so much to be fit and be ready and make a team and be on the team that you just forget sometimes just to take a deep breath and enjoy what you're part of. Um, probably could have done that a little bit more. However, I did have so much fun playing. And then um, I would just tell, told myself, you know, it's all worth it. Everything you're doing is worth it. Because sometimes I had conflicts where I would miss like family events or when I was in high school, I would miss dances or this or that. Um, and you, you, you were torn a bit. Um, but I would tell myself it's all worth it because you're going to meet these amazing other women that are going to be your friends for the rest of your life. And and your life uh, is going to be enhanced because of your experience on the national team. 100%. So now you've kind of gone away from playing. You're doing a little bit more more coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, And actually you were inspired to do the Christine Lilly Soccer Academy. If you want to just touch on that a little bit and why you kind of do that, kind of that giving back to that yeah. aspect. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think um, in 1995, I was still playing on the national team. Um, and uh, I got uh, some advice from someone I knew that like, you should run a camp in your hometown and, you know, and do that every year. And I was thinking, oh, I don't really have time, but I did it um, with his help. And I think I got like 50 kids and and then I'm like, all right, we'll try again next year. And then I did it. And then I finally went on my own um, with it. And it was amazing. I've been doing it over. I mean, since 1995, I think I missed one year in there. So we're going on 30, if I'm doing my math right, 30 years coming up um, after this year. Or I mean, we might be on 28 years. Um, and it's been incredible. I go back to my hometown where I grew up. Um, I do the camp there. And uh, it's so fun. It's fun for me to get back where I grew up in the place where I did all my training and running around different the high school track, running around the, the fields or playing all my youth games. So I love going back home and going to my favorite little, you know, spots, restaurants and ice cream place. And now now what's, what's been really cool since I've been doing it for so long, I had, you know, these kids come through my camp as kids. And now some that are asking to come coach have gone through my camp. You know, so that to me makes it that they did enjoy it. You know, they're coming back to coach. And, you know, my all my my two girls have gone through it and my oldest is now helping me coach. So it's been kind of a neat um, evolution. And, uh, you know, when I run the camp, it's only one week out of the summer. And uh, when I run it, I usually do like a fundraiser aspect to it where I get a jersey, whether it's my jersey or I find it, you know, uh, if I ask one of the national team players and we do a fundraiser, we buy a dollar raffle. And all the money raised for that goes to Kick for Nick, which is an uh, organization that um, raises money for um, this uh, this kid, Nick, that grew up in Wilton and had died in 
the Iraqi war, um, but he used to bring soccer balls over um, to the war stricken areas where he was. And because of all the kids everywhere in the world love soccer. So they raise they raise money and, and bring soccer balls all over the world. So um, I help with that. And that's been cool. I've been still in contact with his dad each year. I give them a check. It's usually about I raised probably about five hundred dollars and then I match it. So I send about a thousand bucks to to him. And I think he's appreciative. Uh, and then it's evolved where I've been doing it in Massachusetts, where I've been living now for the past six years, where I run a week here. And it's been a huge hit um, here in the town I live in. Uh, and it's just fun. Like all the parents think the kids have a have a good time. We have a, a World Cup theme at the end of it where they dress up in their country colors and have a competition. So I like to do it because I like being around the kids. But not, and I also enjoy it because I, I didn't have these opportunities. And um, it's a it's a co-ed camp, so we have boys, but majority of, of the camp, it's girls. So I kind of like that aspect that it's about 75, 25, because when I grew up, I was the only girl. So I kind of like having the boys see that all these girls can uh, play some good soccer. And it's fun. It's It gives me a chance to just give back and let these show these kids that, you know, with some hard work and having some fun, you can do, you can do what you want. 100%. I know that breaking barrier uh, aspect of when you were back, when you were a kid, there wasn't much of women's sports. And now we've kind of start to see it grow. And although it every year I see the numbers uh, compared to men's sports, and it's obviously much a big gap, but seeing things like um, your story and hearing your story and others' stories about that, more people need to hear about it because more people need to, realize that they can make a difference. So mm -hmm. I was just wondering, what is some of your advice when you're talking to the kids at your camp of what what can they do to, to achieve their goal of being who they want to be? Yeah, I mean, I tell the kids, I gotta, you gotta work hard. I mean, the underlying thing is like, every, there's a lot of people that have talent out there, um, you know, that can pass the ball, dribble, shoot and score, but it, to get to the next level, it's always what you wanna do if you want it you've got to do it. You've got to do the work. You got to put the time in. You got to have the discipline to train. Um, you also have to have love for it. You have to have it in your heart. You got to love what you're doing. Uh, Cause it, it's not going it, to, it's not going to encourage you to go out to do it if you're not enjoying it. So I'm like, make sure you love what you're doing and put the time in. Um, Cause you got to put the work in to get where you want. No one else can get you there, you know, so you've got to do it. So that's kind of what I tell the kids just to, to work hard. 100%. Well, I guess one last kind of, I'm giving you a little bit of a curveball. I love to kind of do this to, <laughs> to guests, keep them on their their toes, just because it's not simple of just asking a million questions. I wanted to feel more of a, a conversation, which is the real aspect of podcasting, of not just you're interviewing someone. It's more of you're sitting down, you're having, uh, used to be you'd have like a cup of coffee, but my age, many people don't drink coffee, including myself. So it's more of <laughs> just a, a sit and chat, but um if you could, because I'm going to say this from a adult standpoint, if you could do like a three v three adult soccer tournament and bring two of your teammates from the U.S. Women's National Team of any of the years you played, uh, who would you bring and why? Oh man, this is so funny that everyone always talks about this, and I always got to go with my, you know, my group. I would bring Mia Ham, just because we know each other so well in the field, and I know what she can do, what I can do. And then I would bring my, uh, I would bring Tisha Venturini 
who was uh, on the 99 team, but also played in college with her just because we know each other so well. And I know what she can get. She can head the ball so I could throw it up and kick it up in the air. Um, but those two, and I think my reserve, I wouldn't call her a reserve player, but my other player that would be in the mix was Rose Lavelle, the future, the one that's playing right now. She just fun player to watch. He's a lefty, so I enjoy that. Um, but I'd have to go with my those two girls. And I know them too well, and I know what I would get from them. And I think we could kick some butt. Well, I guess maybe next time I'll find a, another question because it seems like you've you've been asked this too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've uh, yeah I think I think I thought about that before and I and we do camps together so I know we play together already so I know I would have them on my team yeah 100% you say chemistry you, you talk about working hard but that chemistry you've built over the years with if it's your teammate if it's your co-worker whatever you need that chemistry in addition to working hard you can work hard but if you don't have that link you don't have that chemistry your hard work could just be all for yourself and doesn't really benefit anyone. So um, there's that, that aspect of individualizing where you individualization, where you got to work hard, but also that togetherness, the teamwork, collaborative chemistry that you work together. And that's really where you see the best people come together, the best of the best. I agreed. And I think uh, that element is really important because those are what makes great teams that went over and over again. I think if you look at the New England Patriots, the Celtics times, LA Lakers, um, Cowboys back in the day, you know, there's just, there was a period of times where teams did really well. And I really, and the U S women's national team, you know, really asked them, you know, what was the difference? Yeah. The players were great executed, but I bet you they cared about each other and they had, they enjoyed each other's company. They want to fight for each other. And those are the elements that makes it even more worth it. You know, when you care about the people you're you're on the field with and that that I have been so fortunate to have had on the national team for so many years. Awesome. Well, I'm so fortunate that we got to finally sit down and chat um, all things soccer, um, because I know I was looking forward to this for uh, <laughs> many years and I'm glad I finally did. And I love to just hear, like I said, the breaking barriers to hear your story, to encourage more people to go out and to achieve their goal. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's great that you're doing this. Awesome. So that's going to wrap up episode 63 of the CBJ show. Once again, thank you, Christine, for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening.